We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Seventh heaven, baby. Seventh heaven, seventh straight. Last time the Nets won seventh straight was January of 2013, the first season in Brooklyn. So big win for the Nets, big win for the franchise. How you feeling, Jack? Uh, it's, it's an odd feeling, Nick, to be the most winningest team in the NBA in terms of streaks. You know, that was already the case with the sixth win against the Lakers. But to get the job done against the Chicago Bulls away from home in a back-to-back, you know, we're getting that. We're certainly making that uh, back-to-back voodoo thing a uh, thing of the past. Yeah, after before this, before the win in New York, it was 33 uh, straight losses on the second night of a back-to-back on the road. They've already won two sets of back-to-backs on this winning streak. Like you said, seven straight, grinded out against the Bulls tonight, 96-93. Before we break it down, just a reminder, check out the buzz, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But Jack, get us started. So, Nick, how did the Nets get it done in this 96-93 win? You know, very low scoring seemed like a bit of a slog. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was not the most entertaining game to watch. They really grinded it out. They weren't in rhythm. The Bulls' defense was aggressive, kind of took them out of them sets, especially the guards on the Bulls, you know, bothered D'Angelo Russell, bothered Spencer Dinwiddie for most of the game. But uh, the Nets were able to kind of keep it close the entire game. When it got down the stretch, they made the extra plays and they executed and they pulled off the win. And this is something where, you know, they benefited from the eight-game losing streak, learning how to close out games, and the seven-game winning streak, getting that confidence to close out games. So just everything is clicking in terms of what you want to see from a team being good you know we've talked about this before jack you know you're not going to play great every night but on a night where they didn't play great they were still able to grind out the win yeah and that shows what what good teams uh, are able to do and you know the playoffs sort of ready teams are able to do but nick what was the cause of the the offensive woes for both teams i saw the bulls scored 12 points in the second quarter and then brooklyn Nets not much better with 18 yeah i think it was the teams weren't hitting shots 
You know, the Bulls aren't the most talented offensive bunch. The Nets, on the other hand, looked a little sluggish. You know, there just wasn't another rhythm. Uh, Chris Dunn did a great job of kind of bothering D'Angelo Russell, and that kind of took the Nets' uh, offense out of rhythm from the start. They missed layups, too, as well. It was just, you know, a grind-out game, and that's what the Bulls kind of wanted, and it kind of dictated to their pace, but the Nets were able to kind of handle it in the second half. They had some good stretches, but like I said, it was mostly in that fourth quarter they just grinded out because, you know, neither team was, like, knocking down shots. There wasn't great ball movement, nothing like that. It wasn't very uh, pleasurable basketball. So who were the key factors, who were the key players for the Nets that were able to step up and, and get us the W? Big game from Spencer Dinwiddie, and it came to the point where, like, you're not really surprised when he just drops 27, and that's what he did tonight. He had a couple big buckets in the fourth quarter. He he got a, like uh, – there was a play where he didn't get the foul call. He got really aggravated, and from there on out, you kind of saw him pick up the aggression, the confidence. Also getting to the free throw line, which we've always talked about, is very important. Eight free throw attempts tonight, eight of 15 from the field, 27 points, six rebounds, three assists. He not very high assist total for D'Angelo or him, but like I said, the Bulls guards do deserve some credit for being very aggressive and making their life difficult. And it seems as well the Bulls were only able to take 10 free throw attempts. So the Nets were obviously keeping them out of the paint, or was it just the fact that Chicago wasn't too aggressive? You know, they the Bulls actually did a solid job of getting to the paint. The Nets did a good job of, you know, uh, um, defending the shot without fouling. Some of it was the Bulls reacting to the Nets' defense, taking those mid-range jumpers that the Nets give up or pulling up for teardrops and things like that. So I don't think it was as much the Bulls. It was kind of just how the Nets played defense, and they just didn't get to the line, and they weren't quite as aggressive like attacking the rim. Speaking of defense, I'm assuming Jared Allen was a big part of that. Looks like he had a nice performance. Yeah, Jared Allen, he had a really, really hot start. 12 points, 5 of 5 right in the first quarter, including a poster over uh, Wendell Carter. You know, obviously rebounding was great. He didn't necessarily get the blocks, but he had a presence in the paint, a couple really nice defensive plays. That second quarter, he kind of cooled down offensively. And then in the second half, the Bulls reacted to him differently, and they kind of forced him to pass instead of allowing him to roll to the rim. Yeah, I mean, he we did know- a great job making the right passes. Yeah, and we know Jared Allen's strengths, and, and I know you've mentioned plenty of times, Nick, that he is quite a good passer, especially, you know, when he sort of finishes the plays. You know, he's got his hands have become a lot better in his second year, but uh, it seems that turnovers are a little bit of an issue. But at the same time, Nick, we did win the points off turnovers battles 15-7, to 7, so were turnovers uh, an issue for the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, there was a couple sloppy, lazy passes that you'd expect in the second night of a back-to-back. I think it was more of a concern that the Bulls only had eight turnovers, I believe, on the season. They're averaging like 16.2 per game. So they need to do a better job of putting more pressure on them defensively. They played okay defense, but it wasn't aggressive enough, especially for a team that doesn't necessarily have great ball handlers. Yeah, I mean, Chris Dunn is an amazing Archie Diakono. You know, I mean, not many people can even spell his name. I, I mean, it's an awesome name. I'm not going to get throw any shade, but um, he's obviously not uh, a ready-made NBA player or rotation player, and he's starting for the Chicago Bulls these days. But uh, Nick, uh, Dilo, a little bit of a slump. Was that because of you know we know Chris Dunn is a quite a capable defensive guard. Yeah, I'd give a lot of credit to Chris Dunn for the performance that he did on D'Angelo. Like I said, he just made it very difficult. They did an excellent job of fighting over screens, and that's did a better job in the second half and setting harder screens. But early in the first half and most of you know the game, they did a great job getting over the screens, not giving up easy shots. You know, D'Angelo's game wasn't bad, but it wasn't you know great. Yeah, um, and and that's a good thing that we can say about D'Angelo because I know when I'm going to be watching the replay, I've always said that D'Angelo's floor needs to become a lot higher for him to make an impact. And, you know, because we have two threats now and the third uh, on 
on the pine in terms of his injury with Karis LeVert. For him to still, you know, get, you know, double-digit points, a couple of assists here and there, a couple of rebounds, shows that he's learning. And his field goal percentage, not horrible either, just couldn't hit the three ball. But, Nick, I think a guy we didn't touch on enough uh, on the last episode, especially in that fourth quarter, was Jared Dudley. How was he again tonight? Yeah, Jared Dudley was solid, just, you know, doing the small things. He's not out there, you know, making a ton of plays, but it's just the small things that don't, you know, show up on the stat sheet being that veteran. I thought he had some solid possessions, especially when the Nets needed a little bit of momentum. Yeah, and we, I mean, you slot into my DMs throughout the game, and I always love to check and see what's going on with the game. But you you mentioned something to me about Damari Carroll. Do you want to let the fans know about that? Yeah, I think the Nets really need to consider resting him on back-to-backs, at least until he's fully healthy. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I did pull them up in the middle of the game, and his shooting percentages were really bad. I think he was shooting, like, either 30% from the field and then, like, 20% on threes on the night of back-to-backs. And you could tell tonight he just didn't have it. He had a couple turnovers in the second half that really hurt the Nets. I just think he just doesn't necessarily have the conditioning at this point in the season coming back from injury to play back-to-backs. Maybe he needs to get worked in a little bit more, but I'm not sure. I think it would be something smart to consider when Trevion Garam and uh, Karis LeVert are back. Yeah, and even Alan Crabb should be only days away as well. But Nick, I see as well that Shabazz Napier got some time and obviously only 10 minutes, but um, what was the reason for his insertion? This uh, He got inserted in the end of the second quarter to kind of change things up, give some energy. You know, it was a solid thing from Kenny. That's something we've been asking for is for him to kind of, you know, try new things when things aren't working out. So we put him in the end of the second quarter, you know, maybe had a slight impact. He ended up starting the third quarter where he wasn't very good. He just got abused defensively. So uh, then he ended up not playing the rest of the game. But I think it was nice to just give him a chance to get some minutes and kind of spark the team. It didn't work out, but it's always nice to try. Yeah, I mean, three assists in 10 minutes, you know, I, I think, and you know, and he wasn't a negative in plus minus. Um, not many nets were uh, for that case, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for Kenny Atkinson trying different things. And I think a lot of his naysayers have uh, gone into uh, gone into the wings, that's for sure. But um, I'd be remiss not to ask about uh, everyone's favorite uh, second round pick, Rodion's Kuritznik. 23 minutes from him, pretty efficient from the field, doing some okay things. Uh, continues to get more minutes uh, than guys like Jared Dudley and Damari Carroll, as we've advocated for. Um, how was he? Yeah, he had a solid game. He bounced back from the Laker game. You know, he didn't end up starting the second half, but he ended up coming in the third quarter. It wasn't like he was bench. I think Kenny just wanted to try something new. He had some pretty big impact plays. He had a steal and a slam, which is kind of like his go-to thing that we've seen from in the past, and that's always a momentum changer. And I think it's something you love to see as a coach and as a fan. He also got it for a dunk, and I, helped. I think that gave the Nets momentum as well. Yeah, I think he is a momentum changer in terms of how he can sort of just one play, it just feeds the energy throughout the rest of the roster. But uh, any other notes from this affair? Seems like a not necessarily the most memorable matchup between uh, these two teams. Yeah, you know, I'll just touch on uh, Rondé, who I thought did a very good job on Laurie Marketing, just made his life really difficult. And I think defensively, you know, there was uh, talk from some of the beat writers that last night after the game, he was shouting first team all defense. So I heard that. Yeah. So he's really trying to buy into that defensive role. And I thought he did a great job on Laurie Marketing tonight. Also, Joe Harris had two of the biggest hustle plays of the game, you know, getting on the ground, getting those loose balls. Joe Harris is just a guy you want on your team. He's just a supercharged role player that you love to have yeah my favorite player i know a lot i think i said on jbt you know he's my favorite harris in the league by a country <laughs> mile uh, and there are plenty of them gary and, and tobias shout out to you guys but nick um we'll obviously talk a little bit about the free agency news coming out but i wanted to put forth to you i was listening to a little bit of nate duncan and, and danny the rue 
uh, when they were doing their 15 and 60. The Nets at that stage had a 37% chance to make the playoffs. It's gone up to 40 after tonight's win. Um, what do you think of that number just off the top of your head? Yeah, actually, I think that's like pretty close to the number I projected before the season. So um, shout out to me. But no, uh, really, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that the Nets actually, you can maybe argue it could be higher. Because you look at uh, Detroit, they won tonight. Uh, Orlando caught a beating from the Spurs. You know, Charlotte's been up and down. So I think the Nets, I think, are pretty confident right now. And I look at it this way. Honestly, going to the season as optimistic as I was about the Nets and possibly making the playoffs, I did not expect them to win seven straight. And seven straight wins is enough to change your season. It's just a big-time confidence booster, especially with wins coming over great teams. They beat the Sixers. They beat the Raptors. They beat the Lakers. They're bouncing back on back-to-backs. Like, the momentum is definitely there, and this is something I think the team will look back to all season long and kind of build up that confidence. I don't think we'll see a seven-game win streak from Detroit, Charlotte, or Orlando. I think that's going to help the Nets build confidence and separate themselves, and they can kind of use this going into 2019. Yeah, even Miami as well with the injury to Goran Dragic is really going to hurt them in terms of who's going to be playing the point for them long term. You know, Justice Winslow seems to be the sort of replacement, I guess. But yeah, Miami Heat have 31% chance. The Orlando Magic are at a 28% chance. And the other teams you mentioned, the Pistons seem to be uh, quite favorable with 76% and the Wizards at 64 So, I mean, the Hornets as well at 63 too. So if you're looking at those numbers, I think that those are relatively fair. Obviously, they're taking into account last season's form as well and projecting forward but the nets are a decent shot i think thought 40 percent is quite fair but um nick uh, i'll say one thing sorry to cut you off jack about detroit yeah like their play i think has been solid but i think they have a lot of players in that team are injury prone and knock on wood we don't wish for injuries for anybody but it is probable that somebody between reggie jackson or blake griffin are going to miss a stretch of games yeah, and I completely get that. I think it's these odds can change so rapidly. You know, a week is a long time in the NBA. Who would have thought we'd been talking about Jared Allen uh, blocking LeBron James and the Nets being uh, a playoff contender after that eight-game losing streak? And speaking of, Nick, um, do you think Max Kellerman needs to put a bit of respect on our boy's name? Yeah, I didn't get to see the whole clip. I've only heard about it. And honestly, I've said this before on the outlet and other shows. You know, I don't really respect First Take or whatever that show is with Skip Bayless on uh, Fox Undisputed. They're both necessarily made to just create hype. And they don't, there's no way you can cover all sports and watch all games. So I think it's just like a whole bunch of BS. So honestly, I don't even care. I don't, they don't even deserve minutes on the buzz. <laughs> I mean, our, I mean, we got to give some love to our boy Stephen A. Smith, who was shouting at the Brooklyn Nets a little bit. So, I mean, I mean, he re- can get a little love, but I'll be honest, like he's lost a lot of credibility. It was like he wasn't paying attention on a broadcast like a week ago, and then I don't know if you saw. I know you don't follow the football? NFL. Yeah, you heard about the football thing where he said one yeah. player was going to have a big game and he's been out the entire season. <laughs> I did, um, and that's why I think you know when you're looking for that sort of specific sort of news, you go to you know the beat writers, you go to the Brooklyn Buzz because they are team specific, and I think that's what a lot of fans do clever for and it is always fun on social media you know for the conversation and more general sort of topics for like jbt and the outlet but um i mean uh, if you haven't seen creed 2 yet max kellerman could be a supporting actor nomination for the golden globes he's in it plenty um but nick there is there any what were the sort of free agency rumors that have been making the news obviously i think it was brian windhorse was it that brought it up yeah, the trade rumors um, mentioning, you know, it looks like the Nets aren't going to be sellers at the deadline. They're going to be buyers and looking to go after players to add to their chance of getting to the playoffs. And that's been the first time, you know, we have heard that from the Nets in a long time. And I think it's something interesting. But, you know, I'll let you break it down first and give your take and then I'll go after you. 
Yeah, I mean, Nick, we chatted about it just uh, obviously in passing before the game was starting. And to me, it doesn't make a heap of sense because I don't think the Nets can really add any any person or any player of value that is going to dramatically change them. Unless it were to be in you know a possible trade if someone were to will on, or maybe might be high on a Kenneth Fareed or even a Shabazz Nabi, who I still think has some value in the league. You know, with with plenty of teams who could still use you know a decent backup point guard. So for me, it, it'd be about like who can, who can we acquire? What is their deal? You know, is it expiring? Is it long term money? All these sort of things are the things to consider when you know the the trade deadline comes around in February. I think that at the same time, you know, you look at Damari Carroll or Jared Dudley, these sort of guys, and and Kenneth Fareed, all these sort of guys that other teams might want or who are on expirings, uh, are, are the Nets going to sell off on those guys? I think you need to look at it from both sides. I. I mean, that's just me. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who is going to add any value that is going to take this Nets team even better because I think it would take away from the team cohesion and chemistry. And I think, you know, if you're talking about maybe like a Dante Cunningham, these sort of guys that can just add a little bit, be just a nice sort of vet role presence, um, then I, I can possibly see it. But at the same time, this team is gelling so well right now in terms of the rotations, in terms of just on and off the court. Everything is working so well that I, I don't know who you're going to add that's going to benefit it even more. Yeah, the only players that I could think of it would have to be a star type player. You know, adding another, you know, solid player, which I think the Nets have a lot of right now, and they're going to get another great player back in Lavert. I think at this time it would be looking at like some type of all-star forward. And I don't think there's necessarily any available that fit the Nets' needs. If someone comes up on the market, you know, a team has a really bad stretch and they're looking to kind of tank, get rid of one of their stars, yeah, maybe the Nets can get in there. They have the extra first-round pick. I wouldn't trade necessarily any of the young core. So that would probably be the only way for me. Could you see a, a possibly a Miami who are, are you know, or or a Washington? These sort of teams who, you know, sort of on the fringes. Orlando, these sort of lesser teams, you know, who might be on the fringes, but also might be wanting to sell off. I think Miami seems uh, to me they should be a seller because obviously what they have in terms of their absolute glut of all these sort of guys on weird long-term contracts. Is there anyone on, obviously, I know I'm a big fan of Justice Winslow. I've mentioned Brandon Ingram from the Lakers as well. Are any of these sort of names appeal to you at all, Nick? Yeah, I think with the Miami situation, it's contract-wise where you're not necessarily looking to, you know, take on one of those guys. Maybe if it was a Winslow, but it looks like they're kind of really bought into him and they want to keep him long-term because he's one of the only young pieces they have. I think Washington and Bradley Beal maybe would make some sense because it's not like you're trading for a bad deal. You know, he's on a solid deal. It's just like you have to decide if, you know, Levert can play small forward or Beal can play small forward moving forward. We know the NBA is getting smaller. So that maybe be something to consider depending on how much Washington would want. I don't think anyone in Orlando really, like, strikes my interest. You know, maybe Terrence Ross, but how much are they asking for? And is he going to really make the Nets that much better? I think it would have to be more so with, like, a surprise star asking for a trade. Yeah, I mean, I'll throw, you know, another name out here because I know a lot of people are all about the – uh, the, the trade machine and such. Does a Rodney Hood make any sense for the Nets? Not really. I don't think he's, he's not very efficient. You know, he needs to put up a lot of shots. He's more of a volume scorer. Defensively, he's inconsistent. And that whole attitude thing with the, the Cavs last year where they called for him to play and he wouldn't play in the, what was it, either the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals? Like, you don't want yep. that with your team. Yep. Um, and and I'm, I think one that might intrigue some fans, and we're not going to talk about Javier Parker, but it is another bull, uh, Bobby Portis. Does that interest you at all as a fan, Nick? 
Maybe a little. He adds something that the Nets don't have necessarily, but there's been some concern about his character as well. They've called his like nickname going to his rookie season was like Crazy Eyes Portis. So like and he punched his teammate in the face last year. So I don't know if necessarily if he's a, a great culture fit either. I mean, I can see the skill set interest, but overall culture wise, I'm not sure. Yeah, so I mean we'll obviously watch this space and we'll be updating you plenty. But Nick, in terms of one more thing, uh, I know it's sort of been a, a focal point for Nets Twitter as well. Um we sort of touched on it in terms of the Nets as sellers and, and Damari Carroll obviously being the obvious candidate. Some people even bring up Ed Davis, do or Shabazz Napier. What are your thoughts on obviously those guys and if, you know, would you, if you were Sean Marks, take them on for a second round or a late first round? Uh, what are your thoughts? I probably wouldn't do it at this point. I think in the seven-game win streak, you know, you possibly make the playoffs. It, the culture is officially there. You know, what Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson will do if they can get into the playoffs, it'll really set the tone and bring some more excitement to Brooklyn, which could help them for agency. So I don't think a second-round pick is really worth it. We know the franchise isn't very frugal, so they could end up buying a pick in the draft in the second round if they really wanted another one. And I think they might have an extra one going to the second round this year anyways. So it's not a big deal in my opinion. You have the extra first two. I would just keep the guy let this kind of roll out absolutely any final thoughts nick yeah the only people i would consider trading just to and uh, one more point is maybe shabazz or kenneth reed since they don't have a big role with the team but i definitely wouldn't trade ed davis i think damari and jared dudley provide too much of a ve veteran presence for the young guys to trade them as well absolutely uh always a pleasure my friend and uh hopefully we can make it eight uh rather than seven Yes, sir. That's what we're hoping for. Every time we talk, another win is going to happen, Jack. Uh, as always, you can follow the buzz, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Also, a quick shout-out for OTG. Jack is writing a newsletter for OTG. It's going to be dropping every week featuring some of the best content. You know, If you want to subscribe, head to the site. We're going to have it updated tomorrow where you can just add your email. And we'll send it to you every week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.